We're going to talk about marriage this morning. Hooray! Now, if you're not married, don't worry. Um, I want this morning to reveal Jesus' heart for us. Um, and Because uh, we're part of the bride of Christ, aren't we? So it turns out you are married or at least betrothed. Um, and uh, so we want to um, capture something of his heart for us. Um, I also want to give us, therefore, a vision of what it is to respond to him. Because actually there's a response that we get to bring to him uh, as his bride. Um, and uh, he, as I said, is our bridegroom. Um, I also want to give us a vision for our earthly marriages. If you are married this morning, I want to give you a vision that is awesome. Um, that you go, oh, that's why we got married, isn't it? And, and we can go for something together as a couple. Um, also, if you're not married... Um, I want to give you a vision for what marriage looks like and um, either to put it into your heart because that's what you would love to be one day um, or actually so that you're equipped to stand with married people. Um, Also, I want to give you a vision if you wish you weren't married. Because actually maybe marriage isn't going so well and you're, you know, you're not so sure. And maybe sometimes it does help if we get a, a, a vision again of why we, did we get into this thing in the first place. So wherever you're at on that spectrum, this morning it's for you. All right. Um, actually, in all seriousness, I don't want to um, make light of the fact that actually for some people, the whole subject of marriage could actually be quite a painful thing. If you've experienced pain in that area, maybe in growing up, um, in your own experience... Um, or with friends, family, whatever, um, I know that I can be touching nerves in this area, and I don't want to make light of that at all. Um, So uh, just know that God wants to put hope in your heart. He wants to put encouragement in you and healing if it's needed. Um, All right. And also, you know, chat to somebody afterwards. Chat to a friend, uh, you know, someone that you can work this stuff out with if this brings up issues for you. Come and chat with us. Come chat with me or Leo or any of the other leaders here. Um, And chat with God about it. Um, More importantly, um, chat to Jesus. Chat to your your fiancé, as it were, um, because he wants to put healing and hope into you. Um, So we're going to talk a bit about marriage. Um, And um, I wonder, last time I preached, I talked a bit about male and female. And um, God chose to make us in his image and his likeness, and to do so required male and female. Yeah, we talked about that, didn't we? And I suggested that um, it's not so much that I wanted to highlight difference. If you went away last time feeling like I highlighted difference, then I want to just encourage you to um, listen to it again. I'm I'm more wanting to draw attention to actually our need for both. Um, But within that, there's um, characteristics of who we are that fuse together um, to create something that is a fuller representation. Does that make sense? Um, so I suggested some masculinity bits. I said um, masculinity is to walk in intimacy and obedience with Father God, to shake off passivity and to give ourselves to meaningful activity set before us and to love and care for those around us. Similarly, to be female is to walk in intimacy and obedience with Father God, to bring God's power as partners to nurture, and, uh, to nurture the next and future generations. Both male and female are called to be world changers and to see the kingdom come. Do you believe that? All right. 
So within marriage then, I've got some questions for you. Um, They are more rhetorical, I would suggest. Um, uh, But I just want to ask you some questions. So um, do you think there's hierarchy or patriarchy within Christian marriage? Um, Patriarchy is a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. Do you think that there is that existing within Christian marriage? What about this one? Um, is husband in authority over the wife? Oh. <laughs> oh, what about this one? Does the man have the final say on a matter because he is the husband? I promised you we'd get into some challenging stuff, didn't I? Um, we've, um, we've probably got a range of different opinions on this. Um, some of them will be um, from your own experiences, some of them will be shaped by your upbringing. Um, I hope many of them will be informed by scripture, Um, but we will probably have varying degrees of where we see this and how we fit together. And this morning I am not looking to um, destabilize your marriages um, in any way. If I end up doing that, I've done you a disservice. Um, uh, But what I do want to do is... um, the opposite, don't I? I want you guys to be built up. Um, and, uh, and I think in truth, I've probably shifted a bit in this over the years. I've been married now to Leo for 17 years. And I think, you know, I, I, was grew, up, I, I grew up in a family with, um, where my, um, I had a great mum and dad. Many of you knew, knew my parents, knew my dad. <coughs> Excuse me, can I have some water? Is that all right, anyone? Um, that would be good. Uh, I'm not going to do a Theresa May on you, I promise. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I grew up in a family, and actually, my mum became Christian before my dad. And uh, so there were um, lots of years where my dad was not a believer. And then um, when I was about 10 years old, he came to Christ. Uh, but actually, they then worked out what does what does it look like to be married as a Christian couple now and uh, so I feel like actually they set a great example in that and coming into marrying Leo I think I had uh, you know we've we've enjoyed brilliant marriage haven't we darling Um, but I think we've had to work out what do we understand by these these sorts of things and how does this stuff work where does authority um, fit into things Um, when I started last time I began in Genesis and I'm going to start there again Um, We're going to look at three main chunks of scripture this morning, Genesis 2, Matthew 19 and Ephesians 5. And I'm going to race through some of these things because I'm going to land at quarter past 12. Thank you very much. Um, That's a lot of water. Thank you. Um, So um, in Genesis 2, it says here, as I've um, said on previous weeks, then the Lord God said, it's... It's not good for man that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Um, And I've chatted before with you about the definition of helper. And um, uh, this is a name that God uses to describe himself um, a load of times in the Bible. And there is a power dynamic to this word helper that is lost in our English translation. There is a powerful aid sense about this. There is a counterpart sense to this. Um, and uh, I love the way the NLT says, um, says, a helper just right for him. 
because Adam couldn't find anybody else in the garden. None of the, the birds or the bees or whatever else were any good for him. None of the animals were good for him. He was trying to find one that was just right for him. And God created one from him. And, uh, um, and we, we know then um, that they were meant to be together. And it says then, uh, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept he took out one of his ribs and closed up its, its place with flesh. Then the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. We, uh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I love how man's initial response is that he's drawn to their sameness. I don't know why we're, we're a little fuzzy. Uh, he, man is drawn to the sameness between him and woman, isn't he? Um, and uh, and I love the fact that God desires that they are united. The, the most important thing that God draws out is that they come together and that they become one flesh. Um, and I can't see in there any sense of man having authority over woman that is set out in, in, in there. I know in Genesis 3, God then, as a, a result of the fall, God then says, and this is now what's going to happen. But actually, before the fall, I can't see any reference to man having authority over woman. Um, um, I've mentioned a book on previous weeks, um, Neither Complementarian Nor Egalitarian, and the author of that book says this, If God commissioned Adam to promote the unity of the marriage, then it is difficult to imagine that authority would be a main characteristic of his responsibility, since power relationships tend to separate rather than create intimacy. So, I want to suggest to you that to be a husband, there is cost. There is sacrifice. It's interesting that what God says is man shall leave his father and mother. doesn't say woman does, says man does. So there's something for men to do that costs them. There is sacrifice. Next, there is a holding fast to his wife, um, and that is an intimate thing. It's to cling to, to keep close. And then thirdly, there is a promotion of a new unity. Man has left. I, I, I don't know what's going on. It's quite distracting, isn't it? I'll just move. Maybe that will help. Um, we can change mics if it's a battery thing. I don't know. Um, pulls up from his chair. <laughs> yeah, he might just be going to the loo. That's true. Um, so let me just say those again. So for the guy, there is a sacrifice. There is a cost of leaving father and mother. Um, there is then a holding fast to his wife, and there's a promotion to a new unity, to create a new unity between them. And then there is, for the wife, there is this response. And also, there is a cost. There is a cost because actually there is a submitting, there is a, a sacrificing of self and a submitting to the creation of this new unity. 
And so that exists for both partners. Um, and she is to bring who she is to help and enhance and increase their unity. Okay? All right. Um, now, that's what it says in Genesis. I thought, let's look at what Jesus has to say about marriage. Maybe Jesus is going to introduce some degree of authority that man has over woman. So in Matthew 19, if you want to turn there, um, this is verses 3 to 6. Now, this is Jesus who is um, he's being questioned by some Pharisees, some religious leaders who just happen to be men because they are living in a world which is very patriarchal. Uh, this is obviously post the fall. So women are not treated as the equals. Um, they are very much um, treated as second rate. Um, and Jesus is uh, being challenged by these guys. And so in verse 3, It says this, um, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answers, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't hold back <laughs> in giving this response. These guys, not only are they looking to trip him up, they're also looking for justification um, for quickie divorces. And, um, uh, and Jesus draws them back to something that is a much higher call. We're going to go for this one. Uh, Stop cracking that thing. Okay. Try this. This is new. All right. Yeah, okay, now I can dance it. as well. Thanks. This on? No, yeah. Okay. Lovely. Everyone all right? Okay, cool. Um, so, Jesus draws people's attention back to Genesis. Doesn't he? He draws them back to, actually, there's going to be sacrifice, but then there is unity. There is, there's a cost to this, and then there is unity. There is intimacy. There is a oneness that you're supposed to get. Are you amused at the microphone, no, or is no, it the hands? I know. Okay. I really shouldn't. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Jesus is drawing people back to unity. And again, I can't see. And in fact, he adds something to it. He says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And I can't see any trace of authority here. Again, Jesus, Jesus you know, with the Bible's now, if you look, flick through your Bible, you've had a lot of chapters and a lot of verses up to this point. And even at this point, Jesus doesn't make mention of authority over woman at all. Um, if anything, he highlights the need for intimacy and unity. Now, this isn't just in the New Testament. If we go back to Isaiah, in Isaiah 54, and you don't need to turn to this but because um, we're not going to sit on it for very long, but I just thought that actually there's a moment in Isaiah where um, Isaiah 54 starts off, Sing, O barren one, who did not bear, um, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have never been in labor. And then it says in verse 5, For your maker is your husband, 
and the Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is, your, he is called. And this use of the word husband is a metaphor for intimacy. It's a metaphor for closeness. Um, and if you read through that passage, it, it just speaks of intimacy um, in the middle of that rescue. Um, Anyway, let's go on. Let's look at the biggest um, uh, bit of the New Testament that talks about marriage. Let's go on to Ephesians 5. Um, now, Ephesians 5 is an awesome, awesome chapter in the Bible. There is a lot of glory on this chapter. Um, there's a lot of glory on the whole book, I'm sure, but I just really love the way that Paul phrases things in this. Um, and we are going to get on to headship, and uh, we're going to try and find some glory on headship. Um, and uh, come to see it in, in hopefully a fresh light. Um, Paul starts off in Ephesians 5 by saying this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So right from the beginning of this chapter, he's talking about intimacy, and he's talking about love, and his desire that we walk in love. So that's how he's setting it out. And he then goes on to talk about avoiding immorality, living well, walking in the light, walking in wisdom, not getting drunk on wine, being filled with the Spirit. You know the verses, yeah? And then he gets to verse 21, and he says, submit to one another. Now, when we look at this, we've got in our Bibles these headings and verse breaks and all this stuff. That wasn't there originally. They've been inserted to kind of help us to, to kind of read stuff through. But Paul is setting out a context of walking together in love and of mutual submission. And this is the lens that he's talking about in terms of how our relationships work. And I'd argue that's how they work in all contexts that we find ourselves in. And then, so he then talks specifically about marriage. And he says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything um, to their husbands. There we have it, ladies and gentlemen. Husband is the head of wife. Dun, dun, dun. So do I believe in headship? Yes, I do. It's written there. Um, what is headship? That's probably the better question to be asking. What even is it? And what even did Paul mean by it? Um, as I have looked into this, um, I've discovered that it is quite a, um, a complex, uh, controversial, little tiny word that seems to have got Christian theologians tied up in the most amazing knots you would not believe. Um, there is so many books, so many essays, so many papers written about this one word. It is absolutely phenomenal. Um, what's also interesting is that, as I said, the Bible's gone on all this way through, and, then, and there's no mention of, of this idea of authority over between husband and wife. And then this point comes, and somehow into our, um, and I will generalize here, but into our thinking as, as the church, we have allowed 
authority over to creep in to our understanding of marriage. And yet, God didn't put it in at the beginning. And Jesus didn't stick it in in the middle. (laughs) And now we have Paul near the end of the Bible um, introducing this word, which actually all of the theologians agree it's quite an unusual word, not a common word. There's no other use of this word to describe chief or boss or ruler in any other verses in scripture. It's only, Paul uses it twice. Um, and uh, so what did he actually mean by it? Um, let me just give you some, some background on this in terms of how people are, are breaking it up. Um, Traditional hierarchical complementarian view of marriage interprets headship as meaning that the husband is the head, kephale, who has authority over the wife. Um, So Strong's um, is uh, a um, Bible lexicon and they translate the word to mean head, to mean um, a cornerstone, um, the uniting of walls, um, uh, ruler or lord. So they put ruler in there. Um, Egalitarian marriage view believes headship means source, as in headwaters. So like the source of a river, um, that kind of thing. Um, And uh, there's another lexicon, um, LSJ, which excludes any link between head and ruler or authority and instead defines head in other ways, um, including source. Um, other egalitarians translate the word to mean either prominent or preeminent, i.e. the top of. So if you have a body, um, like uh, a, a, yeah, a body and the head is on the top, um, like the head of your beer, for example. Um, uh, and so there's, another, there's a guy called Richard Kerwin who um, he's suggesting that there is more of an anatomical approach to it that there is a head and there's a body. One thing I would say about the anatomical approach actually is um, uh, all of the theologians agree that there is an anatomical aspect to this um, and that was commonly understood, um, used in not only biblical literature but also other Greek literature at the time, so this notion could be there. Um, One thing I do say about this is um, heads and bodies work best when they're linked, (laughs) when they're in unity. Um, if you separate one from the other, the whole person tends not to work very well. Um, so there is an intrinsicness to this, um, uh, this head-body deal. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that even though these guys that are looking at this are very um, uh, varied in their understanding, they're actually not entirely polarised. So they don't ignore each other. In fact, there's huge respect between these different theologians on their different view and their different understanding. So, for example, Wayne Grudem, who is um, uh, seen by um, many as an authority on this, and certainly, um, and he holds very much a complementarian view. Um, He says this in his book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, um, the meaning ruler, authority over, is still found clearly in 41 ancient texts from both biblical and extra-biblical literature and is possible in two or more other texts. 
Then he goes on to say, there are some texts which indicate that the physical head was thought of as the source of energy or life of the body, and therefore the possibility exists that the word kephale might have come to be used as a metaphor for source or source of life. So they're not entirely polarized in saying, no, it's definitely not one, and no, it's definitely not the other. There is actually a, a, a slight softening. However, at the end of the day, they are divided ultimately on does one give rise to authority over and the other not, um, which is why um, they are caught up on it. Um, okay. Let's just, for a moment, just park the word head and let's look at what did Paul actually give us as a frame of reference for what being the head actually looks like. Is that okay? Are you guys all still awake? I know that this is more of a teaching message than a, um, a particularly preachy message, um, but it is actually quite a useful thing that we go through some of this stuff because it gives us a good grounding in um, helping you to understand where at least I'm coming from. Um, so this is what Christ's headship looks like because what Paul has done is to say, husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. So whatever this headship thing is supposed to be, it's supposed to be that we mirror Christ in his love for the church as we love our wives. Yeah? That's not particularly controversial, is it? We get that that's what Paul's trying to do. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This is intimate, isn't it? There is something that's really tender. We can gloss over this as, as verses that we've just heard for, heard for many years, because you may have done, but actually there is something that's really intimate about this. In the same way, um, spot or wrinkle in any, any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. That's why we worship, isn't it? That's why we come together and worship him, because of all that he's done for us. Um, and... Uh, um, then he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This, is a mystery. this mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There is something gloriously prophetic about marriage, the marriage that God set out in Eden, that Jesus then backs up and that Paul is calling out here um, because it's to reveal something of who God is and of his love and affection for the church. And it's just astonishing. Um, Paul brings us back to what God the Father spoke over humanity in Eden and what Jesus spoke over um, when questioned about divorce. Um, okay. So back to Paul's suggestion, uh, sorry, Paul's intention on headship. Um, Paul was being deliberately outrageous and offensive 
I would suggest, by using this word. Um, there's this thing that happens in Scripture, which we see a few times, where there is a reversal that goes on. Um, where God does something which fits in with the culture of the day, which then he responds by flipping it on its head. So, for example, if you think about Abraham and Isaac, um, at that point with Abraham and Isaac, when um, God says to Abraham, uh, hey, take Isaac up the hill and sacrifice him to me. Now, to us, that that sounds outrageous. To Abraham... Um, he lived in a culture, in a society, where actually child sacrifice was normal. I'm not saying that everybody always killed their kids, but I'm saying that the idea of the gods asking people to sacrifice their children was, a, was, was normal. It was an, a known thing that happened. And so God asking Abraham to do that was not actually as outrageous to Abraham as it is to you or I. And we struggled to get our heads around that, but there was a, it was a cultural thing. Now, it wasn't God's idea... God doesn't ask any of us to sacrifice our children. Um, But he fitted in with actually a practice, evil and twisted and sick as it was in that day. God said, okay, I'd like you to sacrifice your child to me, please. And so Abraham responds, we're going, oh, well, that's what their gods asked them to do. So maybe that's what my God's asking me to do. And he responds and he goes up the mountain. And then at the last moment, God says, actually, no. You're not going to sacrifice your child like the other gods ask their people to sacrifice their children. I'm going to bring my gift. In fact, I'm going to reveal something of what the kingdom looks like. And there's still going to be sacrifice. But there's a reversal that goes on. It's no longer us sacrificing for our God. It's actually God saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to sacrifice for you. Do you see? It's a complete reversal. It's a bit like um, Jesus uh, in the triumphal entry when he's coming into Jerusalem. And everybody's led to believe, all the followers are going, yeah, this is it. He's going to deck everybody. He's going to destroy the temple. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. And then a week later, he hangs on a cross and he dies. And he does the complete opposite of the thing that everybody thought that he was going to do. So there's this reversal thing that you see through scripture that goes on. And now Paul is playing the same game, the same trick in bringing this up. So he says this. Um, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. And um, uh, hang on, let me just find it again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. And you can hear at that point, all the men are going, yep, we agree. That's how we've seen it all along. And then Paul does this crazy thing where he says, I'm going to show you what headship is. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, there was a, it's a bit like, the notion that a, a king has an army. He, the king is the, the head, the, the figurehead, has a, a body, has an army. And the traditional view is that the army sacrifice themselves for the head, don't they? Our armed forces today, they go to war for the head. 
And what Paul is doing here is turning this on its head and saying, actually, rather, because what he could have, could have said was that actually the body sacrifices itself. But what he does is he flicks it around. And he says, actually, husbands, you're to love like this. You're to sacrifice this for this. And now they would have been outraged because it was a complete reversal of what their understanding was. And then he goes on to draw out this sense of what intimacy is. It's actually genius that Paul uses this word. Um, because he's pulling us back to what the original model was. Because he then goes on to say, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two become one flesh. So is there headship? Yeah, absolutely. Does that mean that men have got the final authority over women, over their wives? No, I, I don't think so. Sorry, I can't find it. Um, one theologian, an egalitarian theologian, says it this way. It's often assumed that head um, in the Greek of the New Testament means leader, boss, or authority. However, despite the fact that there are scores of references with all kinds of titles to leaders in every area of life in the New Testament, none is ever designated as head. The word head used in the manner appears exclusively in relation of Christ to the church, parallels of the husband and the wife. In each of these New Testament references, the function of Christ's headship to the church is one of servant, provider, never one of authority or leadership. Um, Adam had a specific responsibility in the garden. And Eve had a specific responsibility. Adam's responsibility was to obey God. God gave the, the, the command to Adam. But Eve had a responsibility as well. Eve's responsibility was to be his powerful partner. And the reality is that Eve was deceived. Paul says it in 1 Timothy. Eve was deceived. But actually... Adam ate. Adam disobeyed. Adam, um, and so Paul also says actually sin came through Adam. doesn't say sin came through Eve, it came through Adam. So they both blew it. And we now have this incredible opportunity in our marriages to get back to, to being who God made us to be. Of, of following who God says we are and living out of our place of obedience. Um, and for men, that's obedience. For women, it's obedience. It's being who you are, who you're called to be. Um, and I believe that then in our marriages, um, there is a unity between us and an, 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 and an equality between us. There is a partnership between us. Now, there's a whole load then of practical things, isn't there? So how do we then work things out? And I don't want to tell you how to r run your marriage. That's not my job at all to do that. I wouldn't presume to do that. Um, but I want to draw you back to what Paul says, that actually there's mutual submission. And we know that in our marriage, there are things that I'm good at and there's things that Leo's good at. And there are things that actually I will submit to Leah on. But there's also things that she will submit to me on. 
and we work it out together. It is a partnership. Um, I'm not Leo's boss. I'm not her ruler. Um, she has one Lord. His name is Jesus. Um, and uh, and that's, that's how we do it, isn't it? Um, and together, our aim as a couple is that we reveal Christ's love for the church, that we reveal the fullness of who God is. And I want to call you up if you're married in this room. You've got such an amazing opportunity to reveal Jesus. It is an awesome, awesome privilege. Men, I'm not asking you to shrink back. I do believe that there is submission. Um, and I do believe that there's leadership. So I'm not denying one or the other. I know that there is a headship thing. And do I fully understand it? Um, probably not. Um, I, I, see, I see both sides of this. Um, but I also see the glory on it. And I know that when I get drawn into what the intimacy of this is and the passion of it is, I know that it calls me up as a husband and it takes away that temptation to dominate. Um, and I think that's our challenge. I know I've said it on previous weeks for men. I think our, our call now is to stand with Jesus and to pull women up. We have such a responsibility. You know, if you look at our news at any week, we've had it even in the last couple of weeks, haven't we, with the, um, in Hollywood, um, with uh, the way that um, that guy has, has behaved with women. Um, we see it again and again and again. What also intrigues me is the number of religious societies, that what goes hand in hand with religious society is oppressing women. <coughs> And there's something about where the spirit of the sovereign Lord is, where there is freedom, which actually looks like freedom and doesn't look like oppression. And we're trying to work this out. You know, in, in our own church, we're working this out. We're going to talk about leadership in, in coming weeks. Um, and we're working this out, aren't we? L literally, at the moment. Um, uh, and it, it's, it's brilliant. It's really, really rich, because I think God is wanting to reveal something to us of what it looks like to recognize the gifts that we share, to be able to honor who we are, to be able to play that out in the different contexts of life that we're in, whether that's in friendship, whether that's in marriage, whether that's in church, in leadership, whatever it is. Um, and that's, that's the adventure that we're on. So um, I hope that's been okay. Um, I'm sure it stirs stuff up for you. Um, Please talk to me. Um, that's absolutely fine. Um, and talk to each other. Chat these things through. Um, I've somehow managed to land early. I had nine pages of notes. I thought I'm never going to get through them. Um, but there we are. Um, I'm, I'm all right. I've done that. So um, can I pray for you? Is that all right? Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you that... Um, you have come to raise the bar for us as people, as your chosen uh, people, people that you have called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, people that you've called to be your bride. And uh, Lord, we, we want to reveal you. We want to respond as your bride. We want to respond as the people that you've called us to be. You've, you've invited us to be powerful people who love well, who walk in love, who submit to one another. 
And so, Lord, I just want to thank you that you um, have purpose in these things to set us free from ways of thinking, um, to change our minds on things where they've not been in alignment with you. Jesus, I thank you that you weren't afraid to challenge the Pharisees of the day and you love to challenge pharisaical thinking in us. And uh, Lord, I want to I lead by example, um, change my mind, repent where I need to, where there is pharisaical thinking, where there is hierarchical thinking. And Lord, I just um, ask you to help each one of us just to know your peace as we work these things out in our own lives. Pray for our marriages. I just pray that you would be uh, pouring strength in as a result of this, that couples will be saying, wow, let's look again at our marriage. Let's be inspired again for why we're together and what could be seen through us as a couple. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.